business is the fuel that drives America. Innovation, hard work, risk, and reward. It's what many call the American dream, and we're bringing the dream to you. It's the Business Beyond the Boardroom Show with your host, Mark Steckman. So over the weekend, I was really giving some thought to an interview I had recently done with Scott Jeffrey Miller. He's the author of Master Mentors. That book uh, just came out, and I had him on the uh, Business Beyond the Boardroom show recently. You can find that uh, podcast episode as well right here on the podcast. Well, in thinking about that, I was talking with my son, and I was reminded of someone who kind of inadvertently became a mentor in my life. And this is going back to the 19, actually 1990 exactly. I was going to say the 1990s, but it was 1990 exactly. And I graduated from high school and started my post high school education at a community college, Macomb Community College, real large community college outside of uh, Detroit, in the metro Detroit area. And so I'd started at Macomb Community College. And I also at that same time started working at United Parcel Service, UPS. You know, those big, great brown trucks that you've been seeing on the road for the last 100 plus years. And so anyway, I would go into work at UPS real early in the morning, three, four o'clock in the morning. And then I'd get off of work at nine and I'd head over to, and I don't even know how I started or how I found this place. I was not, by the way, uh, a big kid in high school. I was probably about 130 pounds wet. And, um, but somewhere along the line that year, that summer, I decided that I wanted to start working out. And so when I would get off of work from UPS, I would head over to this place called the Mount Clemens Racquetball Club. And that was kind of halfway between the UPS uh, distribution facility and Macomb Community College. It was kind of right off the expressway. And I, I don't even remember how I found it or why I started going there, but I did. And I got a membership there. And so I would go there and I would go and work out for a little over an hour or so, hour and a half. And then I would take a shower and head to class. So I had classes mostly afternoon into the afternoon and uh, every day was a little different. But anyway, you get the point. So nonetheless, one morning, I was working out and this guy comes over to me and he was I'll give you a visual picture of him. He was probably 5'9", maybe 5'10", and easily 245 pounds, but stacked full of muscle. And he was quite a bit older than me. I'm guessing he was late 40s, early 50, maybe somewhere right around there. And he came over to me and he said, hey, how you doing? Need any help? And I kind of blew him off because I never talked to him before. And so he kind of went on his way and I continued working out. Well, over the course of time, I had started chatting up with uh, these two guys and these other two guys. And the one guy, uh, by the way, had a very similar physique to the first gentleman that I was uh, describing. And this guy's name was Tony, by the way, this, the second guy. So Tony, Tony had long hair. It was literally halfway down his back. He was probably five, seven, five, eight. So a couple inches shorter than the first guy, which by the way, his first guy's name was Ed. And, uh, so Tony was a little shorter than Ed, but very stocky and not while he, you could tell he had been working out his whole life. He was nowhere near as strong or as ripped as, as Ed. And so, um, I would ch chat it up with 
Tony, and I could tell he had kind of an interesting lifestyle and an interesting life. He had long hair, long black hair, and it was mixed in with quite a bit of gray as well. And and uh, he would work out with this guy named uh, Charlie. And so Charlie was not at all an athlete, but you could tell he enjoyed working out. And so uh, Charlie and Tony would work out, and so I'd, I'd chat it up with them. And one morning I realized that after working out, they would go up to the bar upstairs. And uh, so the Mount Clemens racquetball cl- court or club was uh, consisted of a bunch of racquetball uh, courts, you know, small courts in, indoors. And then uh, there was a gym and then uh, there was a uh, little retail store, uh, a tanning bed, salon, whatever you want to call that. And then upstairs was a uh, sports bar. It was called, I think it was called Total Sports. Well, anyway, Charlie and Tony, after working out, they'd kind of linger around in the locker room. Uh, so they'd work out, you know, 9 to 11 o'clock or something like that. And then the bar would open upstairs at Total Sports around noon. So they'd take showers and get all ready. And then they'd go upstairs to the bar. So these guys would work out. And then go upstairs to the bar. So, you know, here I am, an 18-year-old. I thought, ah, oh, these guys, these guys kind of colorful and cool. And so I'd talk to them every morning and come to find out that Tony, the one with the long hair, was a was a driver, a, a tractor trailer driver, so a, you know, CDL licensed driver for the band KISS. You know, the rock band that paints their face. He had been on tour with them his entire career. So this guy was a road driver for the tour band, for the band Kiss when they were on tour. It's crazy. So he had just a, a, a tremendous number of stories to tell. So that was Tony. And then Charlie, Charlie was this guy who was on medical disability from TACOM, which is the tank plant in uh, Metro Detroit. So many of you outside of Detroit may not know, but there's a tank manufacturing facility called TACOM, T-A-C-O-M, TACOM, and uh, they manufacture tanks or tank parts and that kind of stuff. Well, Charlie was on uh, medical disability. He'd gotten hurt on the job, and uh, so he had a colorful story as well. Uh, If you think about it for a second, he's on medical disability. He shouldn't be at the gym working out, particularly lifting heavyweights, but they were. So, you know, again, interesting story. And so these guys kind of befriended me as the young the young dude in the gym every morning. I was the only one that was under the age of 40 because obviously most young people weren't up at 9 o'clock in the morning working out at the gym at that time. This is 1990. And so anyway, uh, they had befriended me and kind of taken me under their wings and showed me some things as far as working out and whatever. And so uh, over from the side of the gym, over time, this other guy, the very first guy that I mentioned, Ed, who, by the way, everybody at the gym called him Big Ed, he kind of noticed that they were befriending me. And you could see that, I don't know if it was bothering him, but you could see that he, he had interest in the fact that they were constantly, you know, showing me different techniques and working out and different different things to do and whatever. And so one day he came up to me in the in the locker room and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to be here tomorrow morning. How about if we work out together? And um, so I said, well, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what time I'll be here. And he goes, well, look, if, if I'm here at the same time you are, why don't we uh, do chest and tries tomorrow together? And I was like, well, I felt kind of cornered. And I was like, well, I know I'm going to be here in the morning. So, yeah, sure. All right, whatever. So I did. Next morning I came in and, and there he was. And by the way, 
his story, Big Ed's story, was that he test drove vehicles for General Motors at the proving grounds. And so he, he actually test drove vehicles overnight. And so he would get off work just like me, you know, sometimes around 8, 8.30 and would end up being at the, at the gym by right around 9. And so we would meet roughly the same time every morning. And so that particular first morning, we both worked out. We did chest and tries. And never in my life was I pushed so hard as I was that day. And from that day forward, I always worked out with Big Ed because, number one, I didn't have a choice. He, he made me. And number two, as I started to realize, Tony and Charlie weren't really serious. They were just there kind of killing time. And yeah, they worked out a little bit, but they were really just kind of killing time until the bar opened up at noon. Whereas Ed was really serious about being there. And over the course of our relationship, Ed would bring in supplements for me to try and give me you know, advice on what to eat and how to eat and all this kind of stuff. And over time, he divulged, he, he confided in me, and he said, you know, hey, look, those two guys right there, you really don't want to follow after them, do you? I mean, their lives are kind of a mess, and and uh, you've got a, a bright future ahead of you, and you, look, you stay away from those kind of guys, and, you know, just kind of stick to the to the narrow road, and, you know, being 18, 18 and a half at that point, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's going in one ear and out the other because those guys kind of cool. I mean, you know, Tony had a ton of cool stories to tell about working with the band Kiss and Charlie, you know, just had a ton of crazy stories as well. And so anyway, but I was seeing such phenomenal growth in my physical appearance and was gaining weight and gaining strength. And it was happening literally every day. I felt bigger and stronger and to to put it in perspective I probably was about 130 pounds when I started working out with uh, with uh, Big Ed and by the time that I left to, to, to transfer to college at Michigan State which was the fall of 1993 I was over 170 pounds so I put on about 40 45 pounds of uh, muscle because I was working out five days a week I was working out balanced with somebody who knew what they were doing and I was getting I was being pushed day in and day out matter of fact I found out later that uh, Ed had competed in professional powerlifting competitions and uh, knew a lot of people in the in the pro bodybuilding circuit matter of fact one day he said hey let's uh, instead of meeting at Mount Clemens racquetball court let's meet at powerhouse powerhouse gym down at centerline and I said well I don't man that's a uh, a little bit of a hike for me for as far as my, my school day, but it's real close to my uh, job. So sure, yeah, I'll meet you there. And when I met him there, he was standing with this gal who was absolutely ripped and in the best physical shape I'd ever seen a human being in. And it turned out it was Linda Murray, Miss Olympia. She's like two-time Miss Olympia. I think she won it twice. but And so several times that year I got to work out with Miss Olympia it was amazing and the kinds of people that Ed would introduce me to oftentimes were were that type of uh, of people that uh, had a very serious focus on what it is they were doing and he introduced me as though I was his best friend and yet here I was just his 
mentee, right? Is that the right word? Mentee? He was mentoring me. He was leading me. And I, I didn't realize it at the time what was happening. All right, so this is where the story gets a little sideways uh, when you're an 18-year-old and you're being mentored by someone as bold and as aggressive as Big Ed Bellis. And so had a great time working out five days a week with him, being introduced to all kinds of different people, including, as I mentioned, Linda Murray, Miss Olympia, and working out with her and many, many, many others. And one day we come in, we just had a great workout, and Big Ed reaches into his duffel bag, and he pulls out this black sweatshirt, and he hands it to me, and he goes, hey, I got something for you. Now, it wasn't unusual for Ed to bring me things. You know, he was very, almost always was introducing me to new supplements or new things, new, new, uh, bringing a, brought in a new weight belt one time, got me a pair of, you know, lifting gloves, and uh, he made me pay for this stuff, by the way. It wasn't, they weren't gifts. He just, he would find new things that he liked and he had been using or somebody had given him, wanted him to try and wanted me to test them. And if I liked them, I would, I would, I would pay for them. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a gift. It was, it was always, sometimes it was. But anyway, this was, it was a black sweatshirt. And so I kind of looked at him and I wasn't surprised, but I, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. What is it? And I opened it up and I looked at it. And on the front side of it, was a picture of Jesus Christ down in a push-up position with the cross on his back and it said bench press this and I kind of looked over at Ed and I flipped around the sweatshirt and on the back side it had a picture of a hand with blood coming out of it and, and, a, and a spike piercing through it with blood dripping off the tip of the spike and on the top it said his pain and on the bottom of it it said your gain I stopped for just a second now by the way uh, backstory I grew up in church Presbyterian by the way at that time in my life Uh, so you know believed in the Bible believed in Jesus Um, wouldn't say that I I, I know I trusted God at that time and trusted Jesus in my life, but it wasn't the, the focus of my life. And 18 and a half, 19 years old, looking at this sweatshirt, I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. It's nice considering my, my church upbringing. I thought, oh, this is really nice. But in the back of my head, thinking to myself, I'll never wear this in public. How embarrassing, right? Especially here in the gym where there's other dudes who might judge me or think that I'm weird or maybe I'm one of those crazy Bible thumpers and uh, Ed said I got one for myself too you know thinking maybe next Monday that both of us wear them and uh, you never know might open up an opportunity for us to talk to somebody here in the gym and I looked at him like he was from Mars when he said when he's saying this as he's as he's talking I could hear this voice in my head saying, oh my gosh, what have you gotten yourself into? There is no way you're wearing this sweatshirt in public, in the gym, where, you know, somebody's going to look at you and think you're one of those crazy people. Now, I got to stop real quick because I also have to tell you that there had been several occasions where Ed had called me on the weekend and asked me if I wanted to come with him on a Saturday or, you know, I, I, I'm 
thinking it was only on Saturdays because that's what I remember. It, was, it wasn't working. But uh, where he would call me, though, and he would ask me to join him to go do these protests. And, and uh, anyway, one in particular, he got arrested at. And it was at an abortion clinic. And him, along with several others, had blocked the doors at an abortion clinic somewhere in the metro Detroit area. And you got to bear in mind, Ed was a power lifter. He, he had probably 30-inch biceps, big, big dude, big chest, big back. Uh, very difficult to put his arms behind his back, for that matter. I can't imagine how, how it would have been for the officer trying to handcuff him. But he did tell me that it took two sets of handcuffs in order to, in order to do it. And uh, I'm so glad that I wasn't there because I certainly wouldn't want to have been arrested. But it was that replayed in my mind as well. What is he getting me into with this with this sweatshirt, right? So I was like, oh, this is so nice. Yeah, I don't know if I'll, I'll try and remember it on Monday. And um, all the while, though, in the back of my head thinking there's no way, no way I'm wearing this sweatshirt with a picture of Jesus Christ on the front of it, bench pressing or doing a push-up with a cross on his back, and the backside of that sweatshirt with a picture of a hand. Obviously, it was Jesus' hand with a, with, a, with, a, with a spike piercing it, saying, his pain, your gain. No way I was going to wear this to the gym. And um, I took, when I got home that night, I took the sweatshirt out, I folded it up, I put it into the bottom drawer of my dresser, and I never wore it. And the next Monday came around, and Big Ed was there, and he said, hey, where's your sweatshirt? And I, oh, I, I forgot it. And he goes, oh, okay, hey, no big deal, no big deal. And he had it on. And I don't know whether it was upsetting to him or not. He didn't act like it. But I'm guessing now as a grown adult that it was probably a little upsetting to him that uh, I didn't I didn't bring it and I didn't wear it but uh, he was he, he, he didn't give up on me let's put it that way he continued on and so I, I share this story and it's it's kind of a drawn-out story about Big Ed Big Ed Bellis was his name and um, he poured into me over the course of three full years a young kid and he used you know exercise working out in the gym and by the way he pushed me harder harder and further physically than I had ever gone, ever thought that I might go over those three years than anybody had ever pushed me outside of my comfort zone in my entire life. Not only up until that point, but I, I, I would venture to believe that throughout my entire life, inclusive of the last 30 years since then, uh, that there's not been anyone that believed in me or pushed me as hard in that capacity. It's not to say my parents didn't believe in me and push me or or certain friends or other colleagues because there's been many of you that have in different ways, but uh, physically, you know, there, there, there's something about being pushed physically that requires more than just a mental you know, belief and capacity in yourself. You, you, it's, just, it's just different. And those of you who are athletes, you know what I'm talking about. And so in those three years, not only did I gain over 40 pounds and of muscle and realized I, there was so much, so much that came from that relationship. But in, in retrospect, in looking backwards over 
30 years, I guess now, almost 30 years ago, I realized that that mentor-mentee relationship that I had with Big Ed Bellis at that time was one that I didn't ask for, but one that he felt compelled to, to do. And he, he poured into me as the skinny kid in the gym to help me grow physically, but also mentally. And then more importantly, spiritually. He had an agenda, by the way. And I think, you know, obviously the, um, the working out was his, was his uh, gateway to my heart and my soul. And as I think about that, I'm, I'm humbled. And it brings me, really brings me to tears that somebody would see another human being as valuable. Somebody that they don't even know. And that they would pour into every day. Not just so that they could get bigger and stronger and more handsome or, you know, fill out a shirt better or or look better at the beach, which was really what my goal was. But it was more important to him. It was his desire for my spiritual well-being, my spiritual well-being, my relationship with Jesus that he was pouring into me. And he would pour into me Bible verses. That's the part I left out while we were working out. And uh, I can remember being on the leg press one time and him just having so much weight on there and my skinny legs just no way I was going to push it yet he was shouting bible verses at me which by the way over in the corner Tony and Charlie would you know they would be over there giggling you know oh my gosh what's he doing over there thumping the bible on that kid's head and and yet some of those verses um have stuck with me my entire life and that's what he was doing he was pouring into me with no desire for anything for himself. He saw something in me. He knew that I had the right foundation, but he also knew that I could have begun to stray in the wrong direction and yet and it meant something to him to see to it that I didn't stray in the wrong direction or even if that I was going to that he was going to fight it. He was going to fight the devil to see to it that I reached what he saw as God's potential for me not only in my physical body but in my in my soul and that is that is just unbelievable it's it's even hard for me today to wrap my head around that that somebody is so um, willing to give up of themselves for someone else and that's what that's what Jesus did Jesus gave up his self for us never having met us but knowing that we were going to follow thousands of years later and uh, that's what a mentor does. And so all these years later, what I've learned is, is that being a mentor, whether you're spiritual or not, is being like Jesus. It is leading someone when there is no reward for yourself. It is not an obvious reward. Let's put it that way. Of course, there is a reward when you, when you lead a child you know, if you're a school teacher or you're an employer and you're, you're teaching someone how to do, do something on the job, or maybe you're a coach and you're, and you're encouraging someone, of course there is a reward, but it is not the reward that the mentor seeks. It is, it is pure selflessness in that mentor-mentee relationship. And so I was reminded of that over the weekend and it was a it was a special and a in a kind of a tearful moment for me as I was kind of telling my son about that again and he's like, "Yeah, I remember you telling me about him." And uh, what a special what a special memory. 
But it's those memories we've got to act on and we've got to find those opportunities to pour into others as a mentor. And each of us has that opportunity. Uh, regardless of where we're at in our lives or our careers, you know, I have two boys and of course it's obvious I'm, I'm trying my best as a dad to pour into them. There's times where I have opportunities at, at work to be able to do that with different people as well and uh, other places in my life. It, we've got to find those, but not just professionally or physically, you know, in sports and things like that, but, but also in, in that moral and spiritual capacity as well. That's where people need us the most. They need to hear from us and they need to see us and uh, recognize that we're not perfect and we're not, you don't have to be perfect to be a mentor. And uh, that was a, a, a real great reminder for me. And I'm super glad that I had the opportunity to interview Scott uh, Jeffrey Miller, the author of that book, uh, Master Mentors. And you and I can be a master mentor as well, wherever we're at in our lives. And I hope you remember that. Thanks for listening to Business Beyond the Boardroom On Demand podcast, a feature of the Business Beyond the Boardroom live radio show. You can listen to the full live radio show every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time anywhere in the U.S. simply by going to moneytalk1010.com. Or if you live in Tampa Bay on 103.1 FM, 92.1 FM, 1010 AM, or 99.5 HD2. Also, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for more great business and marketing content, or just hop over to my website, marksteckman.com. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day.